So we're in this, uh, I'm going to go quickly here, so pay attention. I want to give you a, this map that we've had each week. We're in this series called uh, Jesus Now What? And the first part of the series had to do with Jesus preaching a lot and in crowd, in, in, in places, open air places to lots of people, doing miracles there. And now we're in a different phase. The, the crescendo event of that was uh, Peter, uh, Peter saying to Jesus, you are the Christ, the living God, and the son of the living God. And it opened up a whole new uh, chapter in Mark's gospel in chapters 9 and 10, where Jesus is now just focusing in on his disciples. And that's where we have to perk up a little bit more, because if we're followers of Christ, we need to know what he's saying. Now, this is what I would call cross-training. Geographically, he's walking, Jesus is walking from the north of Israel with his disciples down here to Jerusalem towards the cross, and he's training them in the ways of the cross. So it's called the way section, meaning the way of the cross. So you have this geographical thing going on, and then the fact that he's walking geographically towards the cross is where the teaching is coming from. That's absolutely critical to understanding uh, all of this. And what you'll notice is that the disciples, and you'll scratch your head sometimes, you'll say, how can they just not get it? And then, you know, I've, I've encouraged you to, to think about that for yourself. How can it, how can it be that it, they just don't get it? How, can, how come I don't always get it? They're missing the, the point. And here's the, the reality is that Jesus is hard to figure out. He, he's very simple in some ways, but very complex in others. And he puzzles us. He surprises us. He, he doesn't do the things that we would always expect. And in this thing that was just read here, I don't know if you picked up on it, but there's this huge spirit of generosity that Jesus has. And then there's this huge voice of severity. And how do you make generosity and severity come together? That's not easy. It's hard for us to figure it out. But if we could wrap our minds around the living God, we would be in big trouble because he's not big enough to handle our situations in life. So we're going to look at that this morning. These two uh, passages, we'll look very quickly and then see how it all gets resolved with that four-letter word, salt. The generosity, the severity, and then the salt of Jesus. All right, so uh, John, it says, uh, said these words, Teacher, uh, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop. Stop that. Stop helping people because he was not one of us. Uh, there's a rogue disciple over there who is not authorized. He doesn't know that there's a patent on what you are doing, Jesus. Do something about it, right? That's the voice that's coming. Now, where does that voice come from? Have you ever said that voice right there? Where is that coming from? That's what we want to uh, try to get out here for a sec. But I want to point out some ironies. First irony is that it was the disciples. Two weeks ago, we were in this passage. So maybe in the, in the chronology of events, maybe it's just a day or two before this, where the disciples were trying to cast out a demon, and they could not. So this man, not only is he not one of us, he's doing something that we couldn't do. Causes a little jealousy inside of them. And then the other irony here is that in this section that is called the way section, chapters 9 and 10 of Mark, who are the three disciples that are closest to Jesus? 
Peter, James, and John. And those are the three that just get highlighted as the ones who get it the least. They are the ones who are the most out to lunch. Those who are closest to Jesus, who he spent the most time with, who are kind of this inner circle, continually are baffled by what Jesus is doing. Well, uh, they are wanting to do what we like to do, and that is we have this amazing capacity. If we can make someone else look lower than we are in status, then it makes us look better. And they know that Jesus is a VIP and that there's cabinet openings. You might think about what's going on in our nation right now, and people are flocking to the hotel or whatever, trying to get in line for that prime plum position that is there and they have got it figured out and this guy over here he's not authorized what's going on in the human heart when that is going on so jesus just to make it clear is very generous he just says don't stop him whoever is not against us is for us he's just super open don't worry about it don't get so uptight Where's it coming from? Well, C.S. Lewis, I've, I've used this before. You may remember this. It's an essay he wrote called The Inner Ring. They want to be part of the inner ring. The inner ring is that which excludes other people. Uh, you have to be a member. And uh, here, here's just the quote that I pasted out, or cut and pasted here. I believe that in everyone's life, Lewis says, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the inner ring. And the terror of being left outside. This desire is one of the mainsprings of human action. Unless you take measures to address it, this desire is going to be one of the chief motives of your life. If you look around the world that we live in, that is just played out at large. That right there. People want to have things that other people don't have. They want to, what what Lewis says is, he has this line, they, they want this, we all do, a delicious sense of the secret intimacy. Just, we want to know something or have something that other people don't have because it makes us feel better. Do the research on this in your own heart. Take an inventory. Survey your heart and see if this isn't true of you. And it leads, uh, Lewis says, it leads uh, people who are not generally capable of doing really bad things, but the pursuit, the desire to get into that inner ring is what leads people to do the worst things in life. And it it explains Nazi Germany, and it explains the KKK, it explains, and at our level, it explains things like cliques and clubs and gangs and what it means to be cool and not cool if you're in school. Kind of, I could wrap that. (laughs) But I won't. Thank you. Yeah, hallelujah. Amen. So, but but what I want to say is, this is not them. This is us. This is the sin that is part of our our life, and it's where we are in our in our work situations, our neighborhoods, wherever we are. We want to be on the inside. All right. So, big big picture Bible. Israel in the time of Christ is the ultimate inner ring. Israel was chosen to be a light to the Gentiles and to the world. But by the time of Christ, first century uh, Israel was consumed with the idea of being an inner ring which no Gentile could ever enter. And Jesus Christ comes along and he is, the New Testament says, the true Israel. And he is open to everybody. He will let anybody in. Just look around this room, right? That's a compliment to all of us, if you didn't know it. 
but you know that he's he's not exclu- he's not exclusive. He he he'll he'll take Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and whoever and whatever whatever it is, whatever the label is, he'll take them. Jesus has this amazing capacity to love anybody. Whatever those things in your heart are that want to exclude people, Jesus says, no, that's not, that's not good. And then at the end here, he even goes a little further of this section. And he says, if people do great things in my name like casting out demons, but what if somebody just comes along with a cup of water and does that in my name? Big or small, doesn't matter. There's no status here. Jesus does not respect status. What, what is cool is, or good is that when somebody is connected to me, whether they're big, doing big things or little things, it doesn't matter. The, the fact is, what matters is whether they're connected with me. Doing things in my name is how he puts it. So there's a generosity in Jesus. Aren't you glad? I mean, there's the, your heart should be singing because of his generosity, or you wouldn't be here. Now, there's also a severity in Jesus. And this is the hard part. And it, it's really severe. Yeah, this, this passage uh, has some hard words. There's two warnings, basically, and I'm, I'm going to go quickly. The first warning is that if you were to cause a little one to fall. Now, that little one could be interpreted literally as a, a child, but it could also be interpreted as a child of God, a child of mine. If you cause someone to sin and fall, oh, oh, really, really bad that is not how the universe is designed and you're going against the way I've made things and it will not be good for you. I mean, I'm just paraphrasing it, but that's what he says there. And then he goes on to talk about sin in general. Um, he has some really hard words for sin in general. And he, he uses hyperbole to get the point across because, you know, uh, the, the cutting off of the hand and the feet and the gouging out of the eye, that's not stuff we want to focus on. But that's what he does to get our attention. And what he's trying to say to us is that sin is a big deal. Isn't it interesting? God could care less about status, but he sure cares about sin. And we could sure care. We care a lot about status. And we say, oh, sin, that's no big deal. Very much different. God really cares about sin. Why does he care so much about sin? What's he hung up about on sin? It's because he's hung up on you and me. He loves you. He loves you so much. He knows what sin does to you. It dehumanizes you. It destroys you. It hurts you. It's not good for your soul. It drains you of life. And so he is very much against sin. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like, I mean, where's Jesus meek and mild here? This is really harsh. Fire and brimstone. No one says any harder things in the Bible than Jesus, and yet he's so generous. How do you hold those two things together? Hard to do. Only Jesus could hold those two things together. Well, uh, thankfully, the answer on, at least in terms of getting rid of sin, is not to try harder. Because that, how's that working for you? You know, that's, that's not a good one. The, he, he gives us something here that, and I kind of thought, you know, I didn't do it, but it would have been good to have salt shakers on each of our communion tables this morning. Because he's talking about salt. Now salt, we're going to explain what that means in a minute, but in the 
Middle Eastern world, which he was talking, salt was uh, something that purified and preserved whatever it was. It, it was very much valued. Salt was a great thing. Jesus says here, it's good. Salt is good. But if you lose your saltiness, and, and salt could lose its saltiness, so uh, it became uh, stale and insipid and it didn't do its work anymore. Uh, I wanted to show you this picture because it is from the same area that Jesus would have been in. This is the Dead Sea. And um, so why is the guy able to float so much or easily? It's because it's so salty. Eight times saltier than the ocean. And uh, we were, uh, I was there, I actually baptized somebody in the Dead Sea. Hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> you know. Couldn't get the whole, the whole thing done there. It was hard. Both hands needed help. I think they made it. Yeah, but anyway, no, it was good. But what salt does, it purifies and it preserves. And so what, what Jesus is, so what is salt? Best answer on what is salt is it's salt is Jesus. Or another way to put it, salt is the gospel. Salt is that, uh, that, that thing that you need to get. Jesus says, have salt in yourself. If we read it wrong, we'll think, I have to have salt in myself, as in believe in myself or something like that. No, it's get salt in yourself. It comes from outside of you. It is Jesus Christ himself. It is the gospel. It is, it is that which uh, purifies and, and preserves you. Um, salt is, here, here's a way to think about it. Salt is the voice of God to you that says, you don't have to perform, and I don't care about your status. That's salt. It, it does something to you. When you hear that, it's like, oh, oh man, I didn't, I didn't know that was so, that's so good. I don't have to perform. I don't have to have status. And the image of Jesus, so remember the, the, the harshness of his words about the hands and the feet and the eyes. So just go with those images for a minute and we'll understand what salt is. Salt is, is, is not going with the image of self-mutilation. It's going with the image of Jesus having his hands pierced, his feet pierced for you, for your sins. So he's, he's done it for you. What you can't do about your sins, he can do. He can purify you and preserve you. And his eyes look down upon you, not in condemnation, but in mercy, in love, get salt. So we have an opportunity to get salt this morning at these communion tables. This this is Jesus, his body, his blood. This is the gospel. This is what makes life happen in us. I want to give you some words to... um, Why don't we go ahead and stand? We'll do our confession together. We'll do this uh, one screen and then we'll pause for a sec and then go on to the next. Would you say together with me, gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment.
Let's read. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen.